Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior returns us to the wasteland. A reluctant hero gets caught up in a battle between savage raiders and a community fighting for survival. Rev your engines for one of the most influential films in the post-apocalyptic subgenre. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me here in the wasteland is David. I come in peace. That's the wrong genre, David. Come on now. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We'll get to spoilers later, but we'll start spoiler free as we always do. We're here today mm-hmm. to talk about The Road Warrior Mad Max 2. And we'll get into all that in a bit. I'll just let you know that you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash TV and you can get some uh, bonus content, some bonus monthly shows. I'll tell you more about them at the end. And if you enjoy the show, please do hit the like button. It helps us out a lot. More people will find us. So uh, hit the buttons. But this is a sci-fi movie podcast and we are building up uh, sort of gradually because in the summer, we're getting Furiosa. We're getting the fifth movie in the Mad Max series. Although Mad Max yep. himself, as far as we know will not be appearing in the movie. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a cameo, but I'm not expecting one. I was going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that, because I feel like Tom Hardy would be itching to return to a role that got him so much acclaim. Possibly. Although, apparently, they, they all had a nightmare making that movie. It took it was a long, arduous shoot, where they got very upset at each other. So All the more reason why he would only want to show up for, like, one day for a quick little cameo. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, so, yeah, we did the first Mad Max a few episodes ago, and we're here today for the second film, which, because the first Mad Max wasn't necessarily a big thing internationally, they kind of like retitled it to just The Road Warrior when it first released, I believe, in the US. Maybe other locations mm-hmm. too. But it is Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, or sometimes it's flipped the other way around. Although, right. funnily enough, on iTunes, where I've got all the movies purchased, right? When I go to them, first one says Mad Max, right? The second mm-hmm. one just says Mad Max, colon, The Road Warrior, and I've never seen it written that way anywhere else. It's always Mad Max 2. But what's really <laughs> weird about it is that Fury Road says Mad Max 4 Fury Road. And I've never seen that anywhere else either. Yeah, someone at iTunes is just taking the piss on that one. <laughs> I don't understand. It's, it's just wrong. But uh, yes, I had seen this once before a long time ago. I remembered uh, enjoying it, but it had been a, quite a while. I was curious to get into it now, especially with the first one fresh in my head. This was your first time, I believe, David. Yes, it was. I do think that I have seen several like clips from this one because a lot of stuff was seeming familiar, but it's been at least a decade since I've seen those clips. So sure, all of, the entire movie start to end, definitely a first time through. Yeah, uh, this one is more of what you think of when you think of Mad Max. It is absolutely the post-apocalyptic wasteland. The start mm-hmm. of the movie actually does try to kind of contextualize where the first movie took place in, the, in this sort of apocalypse timeline, which we'll get to in spoilers. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it, I, suffice to say, that opening like two minutes is the biggest retcon I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. Well, it doesn't really retcon anything. It just adds a lot more stuff that we didn't see in the first movie. True. It's it's. There's a point in there where they start showing clips of the first movie, and I'm like, boy, you sure are really picky and choosy about what you're showing here and leaving <laughs> behind other places. But hey, uh, this is the movie where gasoline is the most cherished, probably other than food, I, I imagine, is the most cherished... Oh no, it's far ahead of that. <laughs> it's the most cherished resource in the wasteland. And the premise of the film is quite simple. It's a very simple movie. It's like 95 minutes. It's about a camp 
uh, a settlement, if you will, of relatively good characters who have access to a big tanker of gasoline. They've got like a an oil pump and they've been retrieving it. And there is a group of raiders, and this is your Mad Max villains, you know, with the the various hockey gear and spikes and a bit S and M in places. There's a hockey mask. There's a wild assortment of people. They want to get in there and take all this fuel, and that's what the movie's about. And of course, Mad Max himself gets involved uh, early on, and that's that's what the movie's about. It's about yeah. him getting involved and not really wanting to help them. But I don't think it's really spoiling much to say that eventually he will help them in some yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, it's it goes a lot to say that a big inspiration for this movie is the Western, and especially mm-hmm. with that reluctant hero who's just brought in and doesn't want to get involved, but of course he has a heart of gold, and it always ends up happening that way. Yeah, I suppose in a way you could look at it as the Western is the wasteland before modern civilization and the mm. the wasteland of the post-apocalypse is the wasteland after civilization but yeah. fundamentally the idea of these small towns with you know only maybe a few dozen people and limited resources I mean, there is a lot of overlap in some ways yeah i mean i think the western is really based off the idea of okay you don't have this larger infrastructure you don't have like the military who's going to roll in or you don't have this idea of you know, and and police state or anything like that. It's just you have people who are against the law and a small group who is for the law, and they're essentially equal in terms of standard westerns of like size and gunpowder and stuff like that. And post apocalypse, when it comes to Mad Max, it's the same sort of thing. It's all about how much horsepower you got being the difference here. Yeah, uh, the one key difference I would say, other than obviously some of the, the setting of being after civilization and having remnants of that still being around, is just the mm-hmm. idea that a lot of the bad people, of which there seems to be more of than anything else, tend to be the people who were crazy enough to have survived the apocalypse. Yeah, And the people remember what civilization was, which definitely gives it a different vibe to the Western, where they don't know what that's like yet, because you know they're building up to that future. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's just a larger, broader scope of like thinking about what post-apocalyptic stories are, I suppose, in, in some ways, and depending right. on what they focus. But, you know, resources are scarce, you know. Max has got his, his son-off shotgun, but as we see throughout the film, shells aren't exactly easy to come by. It's kind of a big deal when he has one. <laughs> yeah, that's I really appreciated that in this movie. Is Obviously, with the last Mad Max, he was a cop, and he had access to ammo seemingly just by virtue of being a cop. But I like how this movie, when they kind of ditch the cop aspect, he's kind of just out on his own, that it shows how much he's hurting just in every sort of resource. Like, we see him eat one meal in this movie, and it is straight up dog food. It's a kind of dog food. Actually, minor correction, I think you see him eat dog food twice in this movie. The second time's a lot quicker, but you do see it. Fair enough, but regardless, both of them being dog food. Both of them being dog food, yes. Proves the point there where it's like he's going to take whatever he can get his hands on, however small it may be, because it's necessary to survive out here. Yeah, and his dog's got a bit of a look in his face when he's chowing down in that dog oh, food. He's God. like, All right, yeah. I'm going to stop right here what? because I know you're not a dog person, but this is like one of the best movie dogs I have seen <laughs> in so long. I love this I'm dog. I'm not anti dog, so I like dogs. I have heard you on numerous occasions saying, like, look, if it's between a cat and a dog, I'm going to shoot the dog, like, four times for no reason. I prefer cats, yes, but I'm not anti-dog. All right, all right. Especially a proper dog like this. It's the, it's the little noisy dogs I don't like. 
Mm. You know, the little okay. ones that are only ankle high and just bark. Little little chihuahuas and whatnot. Ch- chihuahuas, little terriers, like all these little... Like, no, all you right. give me a, a German Shepherd or a, a Labrador or, or whatever. Like, you know, that's a proper dog. All right, all right. Fair enough. Anyway. I just feel like I remember you tearing down dogs on numerous reviews <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes I might play into it to annoy the other person. I don't I don't think I actually right. have a, a deep-seated anti-dog stance here. Come on. Fair enough. It's a good... I agree, it's a good movie, dog. Uh, but the, the dog's got a look on his face. It's like, hey, dude, read the label. That's uh, that's, that's mine. <laughs> uh, that's just, I, don't, I thought that was... Uh, I thought that was good. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, we'll, we'll get into our, our feelings on the movie and we'll take it from there. David, what did you think mm. of Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior? I mean... It's better in every way. I mean, that's I don't I think that's the least controversial statement I've ever said on this show in the few episodes we've had. This is everything that I I think this is what George Miller wanted to do with the first Mad Max movie, but again, he didn't have the budget. That was always the thing is that it felt like there wasn't enough money in the first Mad Max movie to really do what he wanted to do. This movie, apparently it had like 10 times the budget of the original, and he just went for it. And I think that this is super fun action. It's immediately engaging. It keeps you the whole way through. It's very tightly written. I enjoyed this significantly more than the first one. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a mix of the, the money being there, and also even just the idea, the concepts, like being able to do one movie and then seeing what, what worked and what didn't work, and then saying, okay... Here's where I can take this further, and then we get this. Right. We get this, like the, the the movie that defined what the post-apocalyptic wasteland is, which is probably why it, why it didn't feel weird at the time when they made the first one because they weren't trying to do that. They were just he was just making this new world that he hadn't really right. no, hadn't been done before. And then this movie is so ingrained in pop culture and so ingrained in what it it, it kind of created. The Fallout games take from this. Um, mm. In the eighties, there's a ton of Italian ripoffs of the Road Warrior, not Mad Max, the Road Warrior specifically. You know, they're they're ripping off that. Um, right. There's like there's a wrestling tag team from the late eighties called Demolition, <laughs> who straight up take the the main bad guys outfit from this, pretty much. Uh, aside from the hockey mask, I suppose they have their own fancy masks. But you know, there's a lot of that going on uh, where it's just so ingrained into the zeitgeist. Almost to the point where it's surprising when you go and watch it now. I think on my first viewing, I was surprised at just how simple it was in terms of a story. Um, mm. And that's not a critique. I actually love just how simple it is and how much it is just about trying to solve one problem. The whole movie is yeah. about trying to solve one problem and it's like, who can help with that? Will Max help? Does he want to? Is he motivated to? And just getting to that point where we build up to a third act where the final 20 minutes is just this phenomenal chase sequence, which for the record, like knowing what's to come, like George Miller clearly one day wanted to do that last 20 minutes for the entire movie. And yes. if you're looking forward to Fury Road, then that should give you an idea of what you're, you're in for pretty much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Road Warrior is great. It, it just it immediately feels more cinematic right from the get go. Max being the silent protagonist, not entirely, like he does say some lines, but he spends a lot of the movie just taking things in and you're watching yeah. him figure things out and make decisions without ever uttering a word. I can't remember what the count is for Hannibal Lecter on like minutes of screen time. Mad- Max definitely has more minutes of screen time, but I think he only has like 16 lines. 
throughout the whole movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hannibal Lecter outright monologues when he's on screen, so he definitely racks up the words, even though he's maybe not in as many scenes as as Max is. True, true. (laughs) He's a talky fellow, that Hannibal. What's the, you know... So I guess he's just the counter to Hannibal Lecter. Yes. On one end, you have Hannibal Lecter. He talks a lot, but he's barely in the movie. Meanwhile, Max here has barely uttered a word, but he's always around. Hey, there's definitely going to be cannibals to fight in the wasteland. Like, there's no way that's not a thing. We don't see them in the movie, but like, I've I've no doubt that that they exist. Uh, (laughs) One thing, actually, I said in the last movie, because I didn't remember this one well enough uh, when we were talking about the last one, and I said, I bet he's not got his Australian accent for the second one. And to be Mm. fair, he still does have the Australian accent, and a lot of the supporting characters are still clearly Australian. Um, yeah. there's even a dead kangaroo in the road like early on in the movie so yeah, this is definitely oh, yeah. still Australia like, they're, they're... yeah no this, I, I, I was actually kind of surprised with how much it was because obviously he had a big budget but not enough to change the entire like look of the Australian outback mm. but it did just strike me as no they just went to the outback like this this isn't a set this is just the outback, and then they <laughs> built this little mining community in there. I actually don't know. There's a I know there's like a fifty minute documentary on the iTunes version that I could watch. Maybe there'll be answers in there of like how much of it did they build, how much did they find, kind of thing. Well, that's the thing is they did, the only thing they could have built really because it is so bare bones, and what it is is just that little mining community. Oh sure, town. yeah. Because everything that. else is just dirt. Yeah, well, well, yeah, in terms of location, but I mean, obviously, there's a lot of costumes and vehicles they had to, oh, uh, yeah. they had to make. I, I didn't expect them to go out into the desert and find BDSM gear just laying <laughs> around. Uh, I don't know. Australia's a cookie place. That's why we sent all the criminals there back in the 1800s. <laughs> They're just a bit too kinky. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I, I think. The idea of the reluctant hero stuff is there. There's a there's a kid in the the, the community mm-hmm. that needs help, who obviously takes a liking to Max. That's a part of the plot, and that's part of the kind of the 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 emotional connection you might feel as you as you're watching. Yes, yeah, like, you know what, Max? Maybe you should help them go on. This kid clearly wants to stick around you. He's clearly impressed by your your gravitas as a as a badass. Yeah, um, and it's it's amazing how fast he wins the kid over too. Like oh, there's oh, this yeah. entire there's this entire community that you theorize have been helped with this kid, helping him grow all that. But I guess no one has quite fallen into that like strong father figure role that the kid needs. And as soon as Max shows up, he's like, "You're it. You're my dad now. Hope you're <laughs> happy with that." And it kind of makes sense that Max would be reluctant to even fulfill that role because he lost a child. You know, yeah, like he, he would probably have very mixed feelings about acting as a father figure to anyone because he, he lost his only yeah. child. Well, I think it's also uh, throughout this whole thing, it seems that the community of this mining town does pretty much act like a family. I think one character at one point even says like, no, this is my family. I, these are the people I care about. Mm. So with Max having lost his whole family, it's very clear that he doesn't want to build those attachments again because they are so strenuous here in the wasteland they are so easily killed by basically anything at any given point yeah Uh, on the the characters uh there's not so much to say here in terms of casting it's mostly unknowns but there is one name that i kind of recognize and i didn't recognize the face because he looks significantly different even though the movie that i know him from is only a couple of years after this uh but so so there's like i would say there's two main villains that we really focus on we have 
the what was it the humongous who's the guy in the demolition gear and when i say demolition yeah. i mean the tag team from wrestling not a demolition crew just to be you know specific there for anybody who doesn't know wrestling think hockey mask and then like he-man from the yeah sure yeah that's a fair right and he's the leader of the bad guys Uh, and then his main henchman his main wild dog who's got a red mohawk is a character called wes played by vernon wells now i recognize the name vernon wells Mm. and here he's got no facial hair and he's got a red mohawk so he looks very distinct and probably doesn't look like that most of the time and sure enough uh, this is actually the bad guy from Commando, but in Commando, he looks like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> uh, all right. Interesting. Well, I'm not saying you'd be mistaken for Freddie, but he's got like a Freddie Mercury haircut and mustache is what I'm, what ah, I'm saying. Gotcha. Right? I'm okay. not saying you'd mistake him for Freddie Mercury, but he's got that kind of look to him. Uh, so I was like, oh, wow, that's him. And I'm like, okay, I remember him having an Australian accent and that. That's fair. Yeah, that lines up. So. Uh, just, just uh, one of the only real connection that I'd noticed with anything else that I'd seen, you know, other, other obviously than Mel Gibson, who's had right. a very prolific career. So, uh, other characters worth mentioning. There's the leader of the town. There's a couple of ladies there that aren't really big characters. There's one that's kind of the tough warrior type, and then there's one who's kind of the, the damsel that uh, someone wants to save. And then the mm-hmm. other prominent character would be, he's referred to as the gyro captain, uh, but he's kind of this... Uh, kind of comic relief character almost who is an unlikely ally as the movie goes on he kind of starts out as someone who you know max doesn't like very much but over the course like maybe becomes useful and grows a spine because he's a bit of a coward early on yeah he's he's definitely like the quirky character he's got a lot of weird things going on about him but essentially he's he sees max's strength and then immediately lashes onto that, be like, "Oh, me and you, we're going to be a team, right? Mm. That's that's how this is going to play out." And Max just keeps telling him, "Like, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you." Yeah, Bruce Spence, who plays this character, has apparently been in a Lord of the Rings movie. He's been in a Star Wars yep. prequel. He's in Dark City, so he's popped up in things. I, I don't recognize him from these things, but from what I remember of at least the Lord of the Rings role, he does a lot of like heavy prosthetic sure uh, so you, roles. Yeah, like, so you wouldn't really see him in the mm. movie. Per se, yep. Okay, that's interesting. Now I'm just uh, browsing his filmography because uh, he seemed like someone who probably had a career just based on his level of charisma. Oh, yeah. If that made sense, he he has tons of roles. He's got like 130 roles on IMDb. But again, it's one of those ones where either he's in heavy prosthetics or it's such a minor role that you probably wouldn't have recognized him yeah. because he's not exactly an attractive actor. Especially, I, I'm not sure if he had, like, prosthetics or fake teeth put in, but... Oh, they're definitely fake teeth. Ooh. That's not his real he, teeth. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I hope so, but, like, I... The reason that I recognized him is because the prosthetics role that he had in Lord of the Rings, he also has really messed up teeth. And I was like, is that just his thing? Does he just have really messed up teeth in all of his roles? But, I mean, yeah, I would assume that at a certain point there, even if they were messed up back in the early 80s, he could hopefully get them fixed and become a standard like hollywood smile sort of thing yeah good job vamping till i got back <laughs> man that was tough look firefly sometimes will just stare at me and i need to wait like 10 seconds for the little shit to respond all right yep. so yeah um yeah, I mean, I think that's about. I don't know how much more we can say without going into the the spoilers. I, I, I'll say the the music also felt a lot more immediately, mm. you know, I guess, cinematic. Against the word I'll use, because it looked more cinematic, but it also sounded more cinematic. 
Uh, Brian May did the music, who's from a famous band, I think. Oh, yeah, uh, Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember which one I was, which one's he from, but yeah, Queen. There you go. He's from Queen. Um, Another Freddie Mercury connection. (laughs) It's all just back to Freddie in the end. (laughs) Um, The only other person that I wanted to bring up, it's not a big role, it's actually a very small one. Uh, Max Fairchild. He played Broken Victim, which again, I'm not even sure which one there is. There's a bunch of victims in this movie. Yeah. But it is noted that this is one of those first times that I know keeps popping up in the Mad Max franchise, which is recasting actors, but in totally different roles. Oh, sure. Because he's also in the first Mad Max movie as well. Yeah, I think Bruce Spence is in the next one, just because I saw Mm -hmm. saw Thunderdome as I was browsing his list there. Uh, But I don't think he's playing the gyro captain and. Yep. And then the guy who plays the humongous is also in Fury Road as a main character. So, well, we never saw his face. So, I mean, no, yeah, but fair play. I think they're different characters based off of. No, how yeah, no, type. I agree. I'm just, but I'm yeah. saying that's how you get away with it because we never saw oh, his well, face. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure, could have been anyone under there. That that <laughs> that, that could have been the young Tom Cruise for all we knew. That is one ripped young Tom Cruise. <laughs> He bulked up for a role where no one could see his face, and they kept that a secret and gave him a pseudonym. And then I mean to, he got back slim again for his next movie. With uh, to be fair, <laughs> it would be just as homoerotic as I think of young Tom Cruise. So, <laughs> yeah. And also, the movie does have uh, it's not a lot, but there's a few specific moments of good uh, gore or violence where it'll mm. just it'll do something. It's like, oh hey, that looked quite good, and there was like a. Yeah. It's not pulling its punches there. It definitely feels like a savage wasteland. So, yeah, lots lots of uh, things. So we'll get into the movie, I think. So spoilers for Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, you have been warned. Or The Road Warrior, Mad Max 2, since apparently there's such a massive difference. They're the same thing. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down, David. Okay, so the movie, what's interesting is the movie, so it starts with this little flashback thing, and it uses, like, news footage almost to try and show the apocalypse happening and there's this narrator mm-hmm. and at the end of the movie of course the narrator turns out to be the kid grown up yes talking about the past and i think well, the, one of the interesting things about this is that this is in four by three which is fine that's like a tv ratio that's mm-hmm. what they're going for but what caught me off guard about it is that even the warner brothers logo starts off in four by three uh and right. it, it goes into it and i was like I've got the 4K version, and it's uh, it's got I mean, it's clearly got the bars at the top and the bottom as if it's going to go to the the anamorphic widescreen at mm-hmm. some point. But I couldn't remember it starting off in this sort of four by three. But sure enough, it's when it eventually cuts to Max in his car after the the flashbacky stuff, where it just jumps yeah. to here. You go. Here's the big cinema scope mm-hmm. visuals, right? But up until that point, even though you see Max in this this sort of four by three and like a sort of I think it's before the news footage starts. You get like, this sort of tracking shot of him standing there, like this sort of like hero in the road. Yeah, he's like mm-hmm. the warrior of the wasteland, Max. I it's such a cheap trick, but I always get a little bit like goosebumpy whenever there is like that format change. Oh yeah, because it is just and also um, I didn't notice this because of the way my speakers are set up. But apparently the opening sequence is in mono. And then as soon as it kicks over, it goes over to stereo as well. I mean, I've got 5.1, and I didn't... 
I wouldn't say I noticed it shifting from mono to everything else, but I will say it felt like it got much louder when the engine revved. Right. When it Because cu- it cuts mm. to him and then the engine revs and it feels like the room fills with sound. So it probably was switching from mono to 5.1, but it just... I, I, it's like some, you know, sometimes a scene just doesn't have surround sound, so it doesn't really make yeah, much no, of a difference. Uh, for but. sure, but like it's it's those little cheap tricks that show a more basic understanding of the medium rather than just, mm. I think this is going to look cool. It's more so of like, no, this is going to look cool and it's going to work in a way that only film can work. Yeah, because it's, it's not, not only are we doing the TV ratio so it looks like news, and a lot of the footage is this sort of stock footage of explosions and and you know government like meetings and things like that parliament whatever yeah. it is uh and it doesn't give you that much detail in what they apply it says there was two sides in a war right mm-hmm. and it from the sounds of it that war happened before mad max one it sounds like mad max one happened in the gradual collapse that came after no well that's the bit that i actually found interesting because the opening narration you don't know who is the person narrating because obviously it's not max they're referring to max in the third person so you don't know who it is with the reveal that it is the feral kid i actually think that the war that they're talking about did happen during like max's lifetime and stuff like that but then it just wasn't passed down like all of the details were kind of just lost by the time this kid you're saying he's unreliable and not because he's an unreliable person but because the information once you're a generation or two into the post-apocalypse is all quite sketchy because there's no right. easy way to keep records there's no central information to to access yeah, it would all just be an oral history being passed down and i'm sure that nobody's going to remember like ah it was between exxon and bp those were the companies you need to remember <laughs> i mean i think the implication i got was still two countries fighting i mean i get the oh, joke well, you're yeah. making but <laughs> they say two tribes specifically so yeah. could be anything yes so i mean i and obviously that makes sense given the world that he grew up in he'd refer to them as tribes uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to governments or whatever and then the only other thing that also threw me down that line is that at one point uh the gyro captain is talking like oh you you know what i miss about the old days like clean women like, nice perfumed ladies, which makes me think, like, that he remembers the old days. He was around for them. That was a time he was there for. Yeah, I think Max was. Well, I mean, that would still track with what I said, though. The war happened before the first movie, and that the mm-hmm. first movie's just on this kind of... You know, because it mentions in the, the narration that the gangs started to rise up as civilization was, like, losing its foothold. And that's kind of where fair. we were in the first movies, like the gangs of the the, the wastelander kind of. And it made me wonder in this one as well, is if, if is, is there maybe still civilization somewhere? And it's all these small towns right. in the outback and like the smaller places that are all crumbling. But maybe there is a centralized city somewhere that is still functioning and that still has a police force and so on. Yeah, like I'd have to imagine out here in the outback, it is just essentially the western. But if you made your, assuming this is supposed to be Australia, because I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. You made your way into, like, Sydney. I can't imagine that there's roving bike gangs through the heart of the city of Sydney. Yeah. And if there it are, seems like it would still keep up a little bit. And if there is, then I imagine it happened in the cities potentially last, because that's where, you know, everyone would have congregated there to, for protection. The system yeah. would have tried to, like, bulk up around the cities. But all the little villages and towns that are sprinkled across the, the countryside and all that would all be the ones mm-hmm. that are left to the gangs and whatnot and that's that's honestly what i think the first mad max movie was was maybe he wasn't in like a sydney level city but he was in a 
civilization area. That's why we saw so many mm. of those little, like, outcropping towns where it still seemed like, you know, they had they at least had, like, heavily paved roads and intersections and stuff like that, rather than just one long stretch that the Outback has. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a decent job of, like, connecting to the first movie. It, obviously, it brings up the death of his family, and that kind of just is like, okay, this is how he became who he is. Right. That's the part I feel like was kind of retconny. I think the other stuff worked out well enough, but, like, the only things that they say is, like, and his family died, and now he's angry. I'm like, there's a lot more to that, guys. I mean, we don't have to. How much do you want them to be? They're not five oh, minutes no, no. explaining the ins and outs of that. <laughs> It makes sense from a narrative point of view of, like, this is just all we know about essentially this folk hero. This guy that is just shows up, he fixes things, and then he disappears. It makes sense narratively, but I also feel like this was put in as a, hey, Americans, we know you didn't watch the first one, so <laughs> yeah. here's everything you need to know. And that's where it's, like, way stripped back to just the bare essentials, and then also throwing in extra things of, like, don't question why there were so many totally functional cars in the first movie if gasoline was so like rare at that time yeah i mean it was it was it was again it was sort of like this gradual headed in that direction yeah. so i think there's a little bit of wiggle room i do actually think ultimately it was a nice choice to make it work as a standalone movie especially since there's nothing in the movie story that requires it to be like required viewing for the first one right so oh yeah I, I feel like them saying, okay, let's do this little intro just so that everyone can feel that they're on board with who the character is, because that's literally all you need for this movie, is to just have an understanding of, okay, he's he's this lost guy who's got nothing to live for anymore. He's got a dog now, and that seems to be, you know, yep. his one companion, but other than that, he's completely on his own. And it's, at the same time, though, I think that if you cut that opening out, if you just started with him, like, on the road and just kicked the movie off... I don't actually think anyone would be that lost. I think it would still work as a standalone movie. It's just a yeah. little bit of context for who he is, just so that you feel like you know him better going mm -hmm. into it. But Yeah, I mean, if you cut out the intro, it would just basically be any other, like, Western. It would yeah. be, like, the Fistful of Dollars sort of thing, where it's just a stranger rides into town, and then we get the motivations of all the characters as the movie progresses. Yeah, and I do love the opening, because it's all just about Max looking for for fuel he's he's almost mm -hmm. out he's in, he's in a chase with uh some of the guys including um wes the the mm -hmm. the mohawk you know from commando yeah. <laughs> but yeah wes from this point on uh and he is very upset at max but max ends up winning the race and crashing one of their cars but he finds uh, a truck like a you know a big truck you know a big semi truck that's yeah. um sitting there and we see just how desperate he is for gasoline because he, he like it's dribbling out the tank so he puts down like a plate and some buckets whatever's just around just little things that can catch it yeah uh, to the point where he even like gets a, a bit of like a, a handkerchief and like try and soaks what's fallen in the ground already and then rings it into his thing and i'm like oh mm -hmm. you're desperate for every last drop that's how yeah how desperate you are for this I think that was like an incredibly smart choice because yes, it's one thing to have the buckets and stuff and it's like, okay, he's just catching the camp. But as soon as he tries to sop it up with the handkerchief, it's like, oh no, like that's what sells it for. If he runs out of gas out here in the outback, it's death. There is nothing that's going to be able to save him from that point on. Yeah. And from here, he 
fine. So he moves on, right? Uh, Wes isn't happy that they kind of lost, but he's like called back to his 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 raiders, right? Yeah. Um, Max moves on and he finds a gyro, which I'm glad they mentioned what this is called later because for the first little bit, I was just thinking of it as a naked helicopter. I was calling it a whirly bird. <laughs> I think I've heard gyro before and I was like, okay, that sounds familiar now that I've said it, but... I mean, it's just a seat with the propeller, basically. Yeah, I think it's actually called like a gyrocopter. Yeah, that sounds right. Is yeah. the full term. Uh, but, yeah. but naked helicopter, I think, sounds catchy. Uh, <laughs> but there's a snake there, and it's this get you know, this guy, this the gyro captain, like pops out and like holds him and says, "Hey, hey, like you know, you're going to give me everything you've got." And I, I, I'm sorry, I just really want to say, when you say he pops out of the ground. Yes, he, he yeah, pops exactly. out of the ground. Yeah. He literally just emerges. He's completely covered in sand, and then he just sits up like a zombie with like a crossbow <laughs> trained at Max's face. And Max has got his tank rigged so that if anyone tries to empty it, it'll explode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And the guy's like kind of prepared for that. He's like, "Oh, no, 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 you're quite smart. You've you've probably got this rigged." So that's uh, which tells you that he's not the first person to do that in this this universe either. Oh, yeah, this is clearly okay. something people do because it's again their most valuable thing, other than the car itself. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but of course, Max does uh, one up him with uh, his his shotgun. Uh, although, of course, uh, we find out later that he actually has no shells for it. Because when he does find two shells later in the movie, one mm. of them just crumbles in his hand, and then the other one doesn't. And he's like, "Oh, great!" And he he opens his shotgun, puts it in, and the other guy's like, "Wait, the whole time you had no shells." tricky yeah um, i think he says that's dishonest I, I think that's what he says too. oh yeah that's what it is <laughs> um also during that scene when he's disarming the booby traps on the tank he also has a knife holstered mm. right next to the thing as if like not only do i know that i'm going to get robbed of my gas therefore i have to booby trap it but i also know that people know that i'll booby trap it <laughs> so when they tell me to disarm it i can then stab them yeah, so he, t- he, t- he handcuffs this guy up, chains him up, and mm-hmm. uh, because he cause he's going to... Well, we don't know for sure if he's going to kill him, but the gyro captain thinks that he's going to kill him. So he's like, hey, 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 like don't 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 hurt me. I, I know where you can get gas. I know where there's a lot of gas, like a, a lot of it. And he's like, all right, keep, keep talking then. And he, so he chains him up, and he leads him to this high point where they look down, and this is where we get the, the main community that we're going to be dealing with with the movie. And it's like a mm-hmm. circular camp built around like one oil pump, and they've got a big tanker, you know, the type that would attach to a semi-truck, which is important, because that'll come up mm-hmm. later, that he found one already. And clearly, this is the holy grail in this wasteland, is having a semi-truck oh, tanker yeah. full of fuel that they can use. And apparently, the gyro captains been keeping an eye on this place, and the raiders, led by Humongous, and Wes is the, the second in command, they have been trying to get into this place, but this group here who are all dressed in white, which there's no reason for them to be all dressed in white. It's just a nice visual thing for the movie, so you always know what the good guys are and who the bad guys yeah. are. I was going to say, this is a very color-coded movie the whole way through, yeah. except for Max. Except for Max, but we know who Max is, so we never question that, but they, mm. they're all wearing like a white like football pads, like American football. Well, I, does Australian football use these pads as well? I guess it makes sense. I believe that would do. be rugby, but yes. No, 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 no. There's rugby, but there's also Australian rules football. Oh, is there? There's a second well, thing. As a Yank, I'm not exactly. <laughs> I don't aware really know of about it sports. So, oh. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. It does strike, but like, 
it, it would look the same as normal football pads. So, yes, that's the kind of style it's going for. I have to assume they'd be white because otherwise it'd just be wasting money on dyes. Uh, yeah, yeah, because obviously they just have stuff covered, covering them. Um, mm-hmm. So I've just Googled Australian Reels Football to make sure I wasn't crazy. Australian Reels Football, also called Australian Football or Aussie Reels, or more simply Football or Footy. Okay, we get it. There's a lot of things. It's a contact sport played between t- two teams of 18 players on an oval field. Oval field, interesting. Hmm. Uh, often a modified right. cricket ground. It looks like a rugby ball they're holding, but they're not wearing armor in this photograph. So, I did type in Australian football pads, and it does look just like normal football pads. So, okay. I don't know. Maybe they look different in the late seventies, eighties, but yeah, maybe maybe they decided we're going to stop being pussies and stop wearing pads, and we're just going to like kill each other on the field. I mean, you say that, but then I added in 80s, and now I see one that's just covered in spikes, so <laughs> maybe they went hard the other way. That's so funny. Um, I'm being facetious for the record. I do not think people should be injuring themselves playing a sport. I don't even like sports. No. <laughs> so. I was going to say, I don't even think people should be playing sports. It's just, I mean, I, I, sit I, down, I, play a board game. I'm not going to go that far. I don't really care if other people play sports, but... Uh... No, it's just so I can feel like I can participate. Okay. Because there's no way I'm going to be able to join the Australian Football League with this spike paddling going on here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think they have, like, regular... I mean, I say regular, I mean soccer. I'm sure they have that as well. I'm sure they have rugby, soccer, and Australian rules football. I think they have all three oh, yeah. in Australia. Wouldn't surprise me. Even though they all seem like they're variations on similar things, but whatever. I mean, if it's if Australian rules football is anything like American football, it's just the most complicated rule set Probably. that is entirely separate from the other two. Well, because at least I understand why America doesn't have rugby, because rugby and American football are, you know, they're similar enough that I see why you wouldn't mm-hmm. have both. There's no reason to have yeah. both. Uh, also, America really has to, like, make its own thing. We can't just yes. take from other places. We're, we're kind of stupid like that. Oh, to be fair, it doesn't. You don't have the uh, the only claim to the most complicated rules because cricket exists. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, man, that is such an American sport. If we had come up with it first, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, a game lasts like three days. Like what? What? Yeah, yeah you have to play it in days. You got, you got to just do it in one go. More advertiser spots. Uh, apparently, people get really into it. I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, they're they're all wearing these pads and and whatnot, um, and in fact, some of them probably are wearing like cricket pads because Australia plays cricket too. They're they're into the cricket, so yeah. uh, Some of the shin pads and stuff, I'm sure, are actually cricket pads. But it's all various sportswear that they're all wearing in this little. Humidity. On the good side, on the other side, it's BDSM gear. It's yes, it's S and M gear, um, mm-hmm. and Wes specifically has. I'm going to call him his boyfriend, and I'm not saying that in a like a. A negative way but he has like yeah. a sort of skinny guy with blonde hair who is like on the back of his bike with him like throughout the first mm-hmm. chunk of the movie and he's very upset later when he dies so i was like yeah th-. and i say that we do also see wes rape a woman so he's clearly also into women but it does seem like it's at least his best friend yeah. if not I, more i mean i'm gonna quote humongous here which is very poor to do because it's not gonna fly well but uh-huh. He does at one point call out, like, the different factions of his group, and one of the factions is, quote, gay boys. So, 
I think that was just the faction that Wes okay. was a part of. I didn't catch that, but that's just because it was hard to hear what he was saying at that. Because that, mm. he's, he's got like a little speaker that he's... Yeah, I had subtitles on, so I was like, wow, that's a really strange name for a faction of your group that's trying to be menacing. Yeah. Which I suppose is one of the few clues that maybe this isn't American, because I don't know if in a movie in America in 1981, would have mm. gotten away with that, or would have yeah. wanted to do that. So uh, I guess that's just one of those little quirks where you're like, oh, hey, they got to do this because Australia was more open to just having that, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Not as offended. Um. But yeah, so yeah, they're, they're all very... I mean, hell, Wes has, like, chaps on, and he's got, like, a little fur tail that covers his ass crack, but it doesn't seem like he's wearing much underneath those chaps. No, so this is actually one of my favorite trivia bits, is that apparently Mel Gibson's nickname for him was Barometer Bomb, and that is because it got so cold in the outback when they were filming at night that... Whenever this guy's ass would turn purple, that was the cue for everyone to go inside and warm up. <laughs> and that's such a wonderful just, like, imagining of how this shoot actually went. Yeah, yeah. I guess you you, you look at the desert and you just assume warm, because you think yeah. of warm with desert. But yeah, like, obviously it gets cold at night, for, at the very least. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure they shot, like, in the off-season so that people weren't dying during the day as well. That would make a lot of sense. Well, I, if I remember correctly, one of the things with Mad Max Fury Road is that it took a long time to shoot because it took a long time to find the right, you know, times to shoot the mm. movie in the desert that we're shooting in. And, like, yeah. sometimes they had to shut down for a while because, you know, the storms that would come in would be too too severe to, you know, so... Yeah. Well, that's actually the other trivia bit here is that um, they specifically picked this place to build the oil rig because it hadn't rained there for, like, four years. And they're like, what are the odds that it would rain as we're filming? <laughs> oops i'm going to uh assume it did yeah i had to shut down production for a week ah well hey there were good odds okay yeah there were good odds i understand the, the, the gamble they took but hey it is what it is if nothing else it's a fun story to tell in the making of documentary after the fact oh yeah for sure once the movie's made but in the moment you know they're just sitting there like son of a bitch we spent a million dollars building this oil rig and now it's going to go to waste. That's good stuff. Uh, so, basically, Max and... This is where he's eating the dog food, and the other guy's chained up, the gyro captain's chained up, and the dog's there. And they're just watching this camp for a day into the next day, just kind of watching for the activity when they come in and go out. One of the details in the set I really like, actually, is that their door to get into the camp, because they've built mm. like a, a moat, effectively, around it. There's no water in the moat. It's just a dry moat. But you know, the idea is that you can't just drive, you know, into the wall because right. there's this, this this big crevice. But the door, what they've got is they don't have like a gate. So what they've got is they've got a school bus that they've like bolted big metal sheets to one side of, and that's like their front door. So they just drive the school bus like backwards or forwards to like open mm -hmm. or close. And I'm like, okay, that seems pretty tough and they've got like two guys with yeah. flamethrowers up at the top of the gate just to yeah they got a flamethrower and like a harpoon gun on the other <laughs> side it's i mean i guess it makes sense that i actually do appreciate that in the apocalypse in the wasteland however you want to call it when ammo runs dry that pretty much everybody has adapted like crossbows and arrow technology as their default now yeah, it's just so much easier to make something to something they can potentially make. Yeah, and 
you know, Max has a gun with no ammo for the most of the movie. Like, the main villain at one point does pull out a gun, but he's clearly, this is like a rare occasion where he'll pull out the gun because it's the, the occasion calls for it. No one right. else, it's not like all the henchmen are all running around with machine guns and stuff because it wouldn't make sense. This, no. This does make where sense. Where would you get the bullets? They're yeah. just... Doesn't you fire off one and then you gotta wait six months to find the next one? In, in, in fact, in a way, it remains in that that sense. It reminds me more of samurai movies than westerns. Mm. In the case that some samurai movies will have like one bad guy who's got a gun, and that's part of the threat is that he's the only one with a gun because he's got right. it from the west or wherever it's came from. Uh, and that makes me think of this, where there's a very limited supply of firearms and even more limited supply of ammunition for them. So yeah. That makes sense. The, the difference here being, though, is that they give the gun to our hero rather than the bad guys, typically. Yeah, yeah, true. But, uh, hey, it's a Chekhov's gun, if there ever was one. That's true. They, they, they do a good job of setting it up, specifically showing there's no ammo, and then when we do eventually get introduced to ammo for his shotgun, they play that hard as a plot point. Absolutely. Very, very good. And it makes it makes every shot feel valuable as well, uh, mm. which is really good. In fact, I love that the one that he finds that he thinks might be okay, he tries to fire it at one point, and just some smoke comes out of the, the gun, like the chamber. Yeah. I just thought it would be a just little spark. Clearly, clearly wasn't doing well. I was like, oh, well, okay. guess that's that done. So, eventually, some vehicles come out of the camp, and the raiders run them down, and we focus on one particular that's got a man and a woman inside it, and mm. Uh, Wes rapes the woman you know there's basically a group of them sort of rip her clothes off it's very brutal and just sort of tells you how bad these guys are and they shoot the man with, with arrows repeatedly you know he's pretty yep. worse for the wear as well it's it's none of this is really on screen I mean it's all implied but it's also done with the gyrocop gyrocopter gyro captain and mm-hmm. Max just looking through binoculars and telescopes and it's their faces that are selling the yeah. whole thing. You see, like, a glimpse of, like, the, the clothes ripping off, but then you'll look towards the other person, so that you, you get a lot of that POV looking through the telescope backwards mm-hmm. and forwards. So you just get the briefest glimpses, so it's not, like, overly gratuitous. It's just enough to kind of right. sell you what's happening. But Max goes down there. The woman's already dead uh, because they've left, like, one guy behind with the bodies, and this mm-hmm. guy's, like, shot her with a crossbow. But the guy who's sitting up against the, the vehicle still alive, right? He's still hanging on. So Max comes down and kills the uh, the bad guy and comes over and talks to him. And at this point, he's not down here to be a hero. And I, th- I think I really like this because it's the arc of the movie, is that he's just interested in, hey, if I get you back to your camp, can I exchange my service for fuel? Can you give me a, yeah. a, a full tank of gas if I, I take mean, you back? You s- you said it in so many words there, but I think the only words that Mel Gibson says is, I'm just here for your gasoline. <laughs> and the other guy just manages to construct this entire thing of like, yes, get me back to camp and we'll give you all the gasoline you could ever want. <laughs> and he does. He you know, he rides back in his car to the camp. The, the camp obviously aren't like overly excited about opening up to let him in, but they see their guy being carried. So they let yeah. him in and... Unfortunately for Max, the guy dies before he even has a, has a chance to really tell anyone. And Max yeah. keeps saying, "We had an agreement, had a contract, and it's uh, was was his name, uh, Papa Gallo, Papaglio, pa- Papaglio, Papaglio, Papaglio. Yeah, 
Uh, he comes over and he's like, well, if you had a contract, it was with him and it died with him. So tough. Such a dick. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's also the timing of it as well, because like everyone's gathered around this guy. Everyone's like, oh, breathe, give him some space. We'll get him medical care. And all Max is trying to do is just like, uh, hey, could... Could anyone ask him to say that we had a deal at all? No? And then he dies. And it's like, all right, great. Never mind. And they don't want to deal with him. They, they just want to kick him out. They take mm-hmm. his car. Um, they sort of warrior woman, who's the one that usually mans the flamethrower, she like handcuffs him to a, to a railing. And they kind of forget about him, though, because a few minutes later, because like we said before, there was like three or four vehicles that left from the compound and we just focused on what one of them, what happened to one of them. A few minutes later, the raiders all return and they've got like the people who were driving the other cars and like carts, like strung up on the front of their vehicles on display yep. as like, you know, we've killed them or they're or not, maybe not dead yet, but they're, you know, but at one point I think one of them rams a vehicle when they've, and they've got like people on the front on display. Yeah. That's, that's in the final chase scene. That's the final it's, chase scene. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, so they come in and they all stop and Humongous holds up his hand so they all stop their engines. So it, go- it goes very quiet, very suddenly. And he gets out his little uh, speakerphone thing and starts uh, making his demands and promises that if they all just leave and leave all the fuel behind, they won't harm anyone. And half of the people in the camp are dumb enough to actually think that's a viable option. Yeah, I, I I love how there's this one woman, and she was super grieving over the death of uh, the guy who was brought back into the camp. And she just immediately goes in on, like, but he gave his word. He said we'd be safe. And it's like, yeah, Dan, the, the dude with claw hands and a hockey mask. Let's trust him. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, basically, they're all debating all this, and... They want to try and get away, but they have no way of moving the tanker. The leader, uh, Papa, he's like, hey, like, the best solution for us is to go to, like, where we think it will be better. And their plan is to go to somewhere near the shore, somewhere where they think there's a better way of life. It's not going to be just as much of a wasteland. And that might mm-hmm. be true. We, we never actually find out in the movie if, if that's true or not. It's just, you know, just assume it is. Well, they do at least say that, um, you know, the kid took over the tribe and they said they did make it up north and started their tribe up there. So Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, they were successful. It may not have been the same paradise they were looking for, but at least they managed to grow as a community. Yeah, uh, but they're having this debate. They can't agree on anything. And then Max just whistles in after he's already freed himself from the handcuffs. He's picked the lock. And he just sits there and says, the other day I saw a vehicle that will move your tanker. So you want to get out of here, you talk to me. Let's make a deal. So he sits so, down and says his terms, well, which are, I want gas, so you give me a lot of gas, I'll go fetch this this truck and bring it back. Yes. So one thing that we skipped over, which I do think is important here, is Feral Kid makes his first real appearance during oh, the of course, yeah, we, Humongous. Oh, we've skipped, oh yes, yes, the end of the, like, the big announcements that Humongous is making is two of the funniest moments of violence in the whole movie. Yeah. It's delightful. Uh, Feral Kid's got like a tunnel that he he crawls through and he sort of pops his head out like a gopher on the on the other side, right? <laughs> he's out in the desert and he's got this lethal metal boomerang. Yes. Also very Australian, may I add. <laughs> actually, until I saw his name and this was Feral Kid in the credits at the end, I was actually calling him boomerang in my head like the entire time. I, I could fully see this kid being called like Boomer or something yeah, as like a term yeah. of endearment. 
I could see it. I could see it. And he doesn't yeah. speak. He only grills at people. I think we maybe saw him do that once already by this point. Mm-hmm. But he throws out his boomerang, and uh, Wes like moves out the way, and it stabs his boyfriend in the neck brutally, yeah. and it instantly kills him. And he's like very pissed off. He's he's you know he's foaming at the mouth. He's screaming. He wants this kid's head, and he throws the boomerang back at him, right? Mm-hmm. But this kid's smart enough to to duck it. He's not got. He's not stupid. Yeah. And then the the guy. So there's a guy who was like helping uh, humongous with his like speakerphone. He was like his henchman who was like handing totally. him things. He he like runs off and he tries to actually put his hand out to catch the boomerang. And mm. would you believe it? The boomerang just severs his fingers. It's. Yep. I was cackling so hard at this sequence of events. Oh yeah. This kid has just killed one of them and severed the fingers of another. Although, admittedly, it was the only guy's stupidity that, that did that. Yeah, I just love it. this. Fingers get severed. Everyone in the Raiders group starts laughing because I guess nobody likes the toady. And then <laughs> Feral Kid does a backflip back into his hole oh, and he just does, crawls yeah, yeah. away. And I'm like, this is such a strangely comedic scene in the middle of like, you're all about to die. I think I think if I'm going to analyze it from a story perspective, I will say that I think it's establishing that the people in the camp care about each other. The people mm-hmm. in this raider group don't care about each other. I mean, yeah, one guy cares about the one other person, but for the most part, it seems like they all think it's hilarious that two of them just got killed. Yeah. They're not like, oh, my friend just died, or my friend just got his finger severed off. They are cackling with laughter because they th- they're just kind of... I don't want to say they're just all crazy necessarily, but they're certainly they're not... They're all self-interested. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, Humong- even when like the dude who Wes is into dies and Toadie gets his finger cut off, Humongous continues on with his like, all right, that's the deal. You guys have to abandon camp. He doesn't say like, well, now one of us is dead. Therefore, the deal has changed. He's like, nah, screw that guy. He was already gone. Yeah, and he even says, because uh, Wes wants to get in and like get his revenge. Like, no, 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 come now, come now, my dog. You, you will get your mm-hmm. revenge later. Like, for now, we, we, we let them ponder this offer. And, yeah. yeah, then we go on to all the stuff with Max offering to go get the truck. Which, I, I love this because it's such a simple... The movie basically boils down into this into two parts now, which is mm-hmm. mission one, get the truck and get back with the truck. Mission two, actually do the whole big escape where they're trying to get the truck out with the tanker and... Mm-hmm everyone's which, been chased that's the two parts yeah. of this movie now which it is important to note that max specifically says that his deal is i get you the truck after that like you getting it out of here that's not my problem yeah yeah i me getting you the truck is enough for me to get my reward which, of as much gasoline as i can carry and to be fair they, they have no objections to that they, they don't even question it it's not until yeah. they see him actually make his way back with the truck and see how good he is at like maneuvering and like dealing with mm-hmm. all the bandits and raiders chasing him that they go, hey, you're like the chosen one. <laughs> you need to drive this for us. You need to be the one who drives the truck. And of course, yeah. he doesn't want to. Uh, but I, I love how the movie just kind of splits into these two key parts now because him walking out with like four tanks of gasoline because he has to fuel the truck. That's like number one. Mm-hmm. The truck needs to be able to move. So he's got this pole and he's got all these tanks and he's like having to sneak past the raid because he's having to walk to it. He's not got a vehicle to yeah. get there. So he's sneaking past the camps of the raiders and there's a little tense moment. The kids follow them out here because the kids kind of like, you know, in awe of him now because the kids seen him like do some of the stuff that he's done. So he's he's kind of following along for the ride. And one of the things here is that when he he's halfway there or whatever, 
he stumbles in to the gyro captain, who at this point I had genuinely forgotten about because, like, yeah, you know, he wasn't that important in the grand scheme of things. But he's sort of walking, and he's like the 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 trunk that he was like handcuffed to. He's just sort of dragging that along the ground because he's mm-hmm. he's sort of got that out, and he's he's shuffling along. And Max finds him, and he's like, "Hey, that uh, gyrocopter you've got, maybe we could uh, use that." So, uh, and it's here where he finds the shells, and he he realizes that oh, you never actually had any rounds to shoot me with. Mm-hmm. But uh, he says, "Hey, that one could be a dud too." And he's like, well, there's only one way to find out. And he points the gun at his face and he's like, oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, well. Strangely enough, I think it might be real now. Yeah. So he flies him to the truck and that gets us to there. But this is a lot of fun, though, because obviously the, they're not like that far away. The raiders are seeing this flying gyrocopter. They're mm-hmm. seeing this truck starting to move and they're coming for Max. And we get, you know, yep. raiders. So we get like a, a mini version of the scene we get later, which is when Max is driving the truck back. And he basically tells the gyro co- captain, "Hey, you, you can go now. Here's here's the keys for the the, the handcuffs. Off you go. Like, mm-hmm. you're not my problem anymore." And he gets back to the camp, and uh, the pretty fun chase sequence. This is where uh, Humongous like sees them driving, and he pulls out his gun, shoots at the truck. Um, Max tries to fire his gun. All this stuff plays out here, and it's a really fun, compelling sequence. It's well directed, just as George Miller directed the stuff really good in the first movie. Yep. We also get an introduction here of some of the Raiders have NOS. They have nitrous oxide (laughs) on their cars, which allows them to just do exactly what it does in Fast and Furious, which is you go into turbo mode and you just cap out your speedometer. Yeah, which, you know, uh, like all of these moving parts, like I can only imagine the headache of like filming all this stuff. and Oh, yeah. It looks great. Like all of these chase scenes are shot That was the one thing that I said in the first movie that felt like it exceeded its budget was that George Miller has a wonderful eye on how to shoot these chase scenes to keep them engaging and have the flow of motion always feel right, have it feel like a proper action scene. And with more of a budget, it only makes it better. He's always got a feel for that, and I never felt disoriented in any of these chase scenes with like 15 cars involved in each one. I think my favorite thing about it, and this goes for later on as well, but the truck's this big behemoth of a vehicle that mm-hmm. it's a big target. Like, there's he can't hide in this truck. He can't maneuver the way he could in his car with the V8, right? right. He is in this big moving target, and it becomes all these villains trying to, like, hook onto him and, and shoot at him or, or whatever it may be, and mm-hmm. it feels really dangerous. But obviously, he's got, like, a... It's almost like a video game where he's got a safety point. If he gets to the, the town... And yeah. they can close the gate behind them. There's a level of safety there. And here, he further proves himself because when he does drive in with the truck, and they close the gate as quickly as they can, but because he's being chased, a couple of the, the buggies that the bad guys are on do get into the town. And they're mm. outnumbered. They don't really stand a chance. But Wes is one of the people who gets in, and he's like up top yelling for the, the guys that get in to like take out the people at the gate so they can let everyone else in and you know take the place over. And they're able to fight them off. Max even, you know, gets involved in that and, and fights them off a bit. He goes up to the flamethrower and earns yep. the respect of the, the warrior woman who's like, I was wrong about you, Max. I thought you'd disappear and never come back, but you've earned my respect. And this is where Papa and the rest like, Max, you are the road warrior. You must drive our truck in our big daringest attempt at leaving this place. And he's like, nope, my deal's done. Give me my gas. I held up my end. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> and then I I do actually appreciate that this is the point where 
Papa really pushes him and basically tries to goad him into like admitting that he cares to some extent. And he starts bringing up all of Max's like past traumas that obviously the movie gave that little like throwaway line to. But I think that this is the only point where if you saw the first movie, you understand just how deeply it really affected Max. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning here that Papa doesn't know any of this for sure. He's just kind of guessing. He's like, okay, You've probably lost people. That's probably why you're so standoffish. But we've all lost mm-hmm. people. We're in the goddamn yeah. post-apocalypse here. <laughs> he literally says, like, oh, yeah, so you lost people. What makes you so special? And Max just, like, punches him in the face. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good scene. It kind of mirrors in a lot of ways. Again, this is maybe another nice little thing if you have seen the first movie. Is that scene where he's trying to quit and, like, his boss is just mm-hmm. yelling, oh, you're a hero, Max. You're, the la- you're, you're, you're one of the few heroes left. And this scene's kind of doing the same thing, but it is more effective, I say. I would say, because this guy is kind of asking for help to try and save people. It's more of a direct, like, you're being yeah. offered an actual chance to save, help save people here. And he says no, and then if that doesn't get you, the real emotional hook is that the kid, the feral, mm-hmm. the feral kid, um, he's, like, sitting in the car. He wants to go with Max. He wants to leave with Max. He doesn't want to stay with everyone else. He wants Max to be his new dad and for him to mm-hmm. go on the journey with him. And Max just tells him to get lost. And because they had like a... Before he spoke up earlier when he was still handcuffed, uh, he had like a little wind-up like a song thing. It was like... There's a music box. Yeah. And he gives it to the kid and the kid sort of smells and he's never... He's clearly never seen anything like this. He's like, ooh, this is the bit. And it's like a little sweet moment that shows, hey, Max, this is why you can like Max. It's a little sign early on. Despite anything else that happens here, he clearly has a heart. And that's like that hint. So it, it feels extra sad here that he's like no get lost kid and he throws he he literally takes the music box and throws it away so the kid has to go grab it and then throws the kid's baggage with him and says no get lost kid i want nothing to do with you i think that what it comes down to is that max obviously he is not a bad guy he does want other people to be able to survive and live and stuff like that but he does put his own personal survival at the top of the list he's like no if if it comes down to it i'm on my own and i can live on my own and i don't want anybody else bringing me down i think it's so i think it's that he's scared of being attached to anyone again i think yeah. the fear of like feeling lost again it, it goes back to what all that stuff that was in the first movie about him being a hero i think he is still a hero he's just you know i mean the word reluctant comes up a lot we've been saying that a few times but yeah he really is a hero He's just trying so hard to not accept that he is. And mm-hmm. that's what this is. Because it hurts is. every time he does it. Yeah. It's going to hurt him. And he's worried that he's going to lose again. Um, and, you know, at the, the end of this movie, he doesn't. He actually succeeds. He wins. But mm-hmm. the movie kind of punishes him for making this choice. Like, he immediately gets punished for refusing because he gets his car, he gets the fuel that he was promised, and he leaves on his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, the Raiders aren't just going to, like, not follow him they're, not, they're just going yeah, to ignore him they, they are literally all on the hill opposite of the camp and they're able to watch everything that comes and goes from this camp so they they chase him down and quite quickly they hit him in such a way that the car flips his car is destroyed it's told and yep. the, the 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 car is just dangling there and then some bad guys come down to find him and he is like up against a rock bleeding clearly struggling to move uh, which oh by the way this reminds me as well I didn't notice this at the start of the movie. It wasn't until 
he was leaving to go get the truck that someone oiled it and I noticed that he was wearing this brace on his leg and I was like, oh, that's a nice touch because he got shot in the ankle or the, in the shin oh, yeah. in the first that's movie. Right. I, did, I noticed it there too, but I, I didn't put together that it was from the first movie. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. never saw him get the brace, but yeah, like we got the, the injury that he's got that for, that was in the first movie, so that's a nice little Honest, touch. Honestly, it probably just didn't heal back right with how much the legs just splintered and he probably didn't go to a hospital or anything, so... He probably yeah. needs that just continuously from now on to be able to walk properly. Yeah, I, just, I really like that touch. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, of course, a oh, yeah. uh, tiny touch in this scene as he is crawling away from the wreckage, trying to make it so... Mm. Because obviously there is the uh, booby trap that we mentioned before. And so when his interceptor flips, the people come down and try to siphon out the gas from it. And the whole thing goes kablooey. But... The music that plays as he's moving away from his interceptor is actually the exact same theme that plays in the first movie after he gets shot and has to limp back to his interceptor. Yeah, I, I was thinking actually that it's interesting getting into the third act of both this and the first movie. He's both pretty badly injured. Like he doesn't like mm-hmm. he's not a badass in the sense that he's untouchable. You know, he, he goes into the final moments of both movies in a pretty rough shape. Um, yeah. it's just that obviously all he has to do now is drive after this so it's mm. you know he's, he's not doing flips he's not doing big stunts or anything like that I mean with any luck hopefully he's Ho- not doing any hopefully, big yeah. stunts uh, of course though as soon as the dog was there at the start and he's such a good dog and there's all these mm. great little bits where the dog's interacting with her I'm like this is a movie from the 80s there's a good chance they're going to kill the dog yeah I, di- I, I was good I didn't look it up ahead of time mm-hmm. but I it doesn't make it hurt any less even when I know that it's probably coming because it is it's again that same sort of thing that they did before where they imply it is happening off screen they have a character take a shot and then the, you hear a dog yelp and it's so much worse and for the than record just showing it when we say shot when we're talking about this movie we're talking about a crossbow or a bull yes. or something like that we're not talking about a gun unless otherwise stated yeah so you just hear that so it's like oh the one friend he had really is, is mm-hmm. gone and but again i feel like that's what perfectly sets it up for the third act where up until this point he's fine with just bailing and leaving and he probably still would be before but they took away the one thing that he grew an attachment to and now it's about revenge i think i think that's a motivator for sure can i have the third act that's a motivator uh mm-hmm. it's, it's, but it's also i think you can equally say there's only one place he could go after this, yeah, there was only one exactly. place he could feasibly go, uh, but now he's got a he's got a vendetta that he can do. But I think by the end of the movie, though, obviously he still fulfilled his role as hero, regardless of what mm-hmm. you know caused that moment. Um, worth mentioning as well, obviously the gyro captain's been at the camp ever since you know the truck went in. Uh, the gyro yeah, captain's he, been there. He found this little blonde girl that he just took an attachment to and they like they were about to run away together and she turns around and just be like mm, nah, i want to stay with my family and he takes it on the chin but then he also decides to stay with them as well so yeah he sticks, he's kind of their own little group hero he sticks around with them uh because I, I was expecting when she said no i want to stay with my family which then again further shows that they all care about each other that he would just bowl anyway, but no, he sticks around. Yeah. And not only that, he ends up kind of saving the day. He actually comes out and picks up Max after... Because he, he doesn't crawl all the way back to camp. Yeah, no, it was, they they traveled a good bit in that yeah. chase. Um, the, the, the gyro captain sees it from the camp and 
gets his copter and goes goes to save him. So he has like this heroic like, oh, he actually considers Max a friend now. He wants to go save Max and yeah. bring him back. Um, so uh, Pap is going to drive the truck and Max is like barely walking. He's like, no, I'm going to drive it. He's like, dude, you can barely stand. I'm driving. <laughs> Don't that gotta truck. stand to drive a truck. <laughs> so. You know, and at this point in the movie, yeah, there's maybe 20 minutes left. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's all ramping up here, going into this final chase. And it is, like, a chase that lasts, like, a good 20 minutes here at the yeah. end of the movie where Max drives the truck out of the camp. All of the others are in different cars and buggies and stuff, and they all drive in a different direction. The be- mm-hmm. the idea being that the truck is a target and that all of the, the Raiders are going to focus on that because they want to... A couple go after the cars, but most of them go for the truck. They want yeah. the gas. And it, it seems that the biggest problems come when the trucks reconverge with the bus slightly. Like everyone's, or sorry, no, the uh, buggies reconverge with the truck. Every once in a while, you'll see like Papa come back up and he's like, hey, Max, how's it going? And then immediately he's in trouble. Well, yeah, but like the, the whole point is, is that, I mean, it's not the entire, like the, the, all the buses and stuff with most of the camp are, don't come to the truck. It's only Papa no. and a few others who are coming to help Max to try and back him up. Mm-hmm. Um, the one flaw in this plan, though, of course, that I think most people will probably consider is that, wait, do they not care about the fuel that much? Because it feels like they're just using it as a decoy. And Yes, no. I, I, I agree. However, I also think that they fully actually trust Max to be able to shake them. I think that they put all of their trust in Max because there's no other way this truck is going well, on, to be on, able to make it out. Are you forgetting how this ends? No, no, I did. I do know that. And <laughs> I'm saying for people who are watching this for the first time, not okay, you're saying, what okay, I see what being, you're saying. Okay. I think that like, obviously this truck has to make it out. There's no way that it can't for the plot to work as we know it at that point. So I think they, they uh, well, honestly just believe in Max that much to shake it. I see what you're saying. I was relieved when it was revealed that they did something smart, that the truck yep. does not have gas in it. It's full of sand, and we see it pouring out at the end after it flips over. Um, oh, God. But- and no one told Max. They're such <laughs> assholes. <laughs> Whereas they've all taken the gas and canisters and barrels onto the onto the buses and stuff. They've just got it mm-hmm. along with them all split up. And uh, so there was never any risk of losing their gas on the truck. The truck was just a decoy. But like I said mm-hmm. earlier, in the earlier scene, it did feel like the truck was this big target even before it had the gas yeah. behind it. So now that it has this big tanker, it's like, okay, this is this big thing. And we see bad guys climbing over the, the tanker trying to get to him. There's mm-hmm. some fun stuff here where... We had um, the warrior woman and like an engineer guy in the camp. Yeah, there's, both- an, en- there's an engineer guy who... He's not in a wheelchair, but he he would be in one, but he's in like a sling instead, where he's just kind mm-hmm. of in this kind of yeah, the sling, yeah, yeah. And they yeah they build like two posts on top of the tanker that are like little battlements where they can sort of like fire the crossbows from as as like extra defense for Max when they're mm-hmm. they're battling the bad guys, and they go pretty brutally. Like the the yeah. the the injured the 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 engineer guy who who can't walk. But obviously, he has no feeling in his legs. So at one point, his legs start getting caught on fire, and he's yeah. just trying to put it out, and it's not happening. So he's just sort of slowly burning. Well, even then, he's like trying to pat it out. Warrior Woman sees this. It seems like they kind of have a little romantic thing that was going on in the background, mm. but like it never actually shown on screen. But he's like waving her away. He's like, "No, nah, don't worry about me. I'm cool. I'm cool. You just do your own thing." <laughs> and he's just patting it down. Yeah, failingly. And- 
she gets i think she gets pulled off or pushed off the the truck and i i remember this being quite brutal because the mm-hmm. dummy or whatever it is you actually see go under like, the wheels of a yeah. vehicle it looks quite brutal so she gets she goes to actually help the engineer she gets shot in the chest by like four arrows simultaneously and then so falls off yeah definitely that's what it was but like not falls off she dangles off the side the engineer is trying to pull her body back up and then they both go under that's true that's right and because I, I remember thinking oh man and that maybe it's just because the way they shot it but it generally looked like it was a body and not a mannequin or a dummy mm-hmm. that was in this like shot of like going under the wheels so it looked really good for what it was yeah, um, yeah. it was very brutal and of course the kid the feral kid has snuck onto the truck so he's actually in the front with with mel gibson at this point and mm-hmm. he's like trying to reach for the shotgun shells that are rolling away and he's like trying to get to them there's actually there's a great jump scare where oh, yeah. wes like pops up in front of the truck he's obviously been dangling off the front and he just pops up and it's like oh you know it's like a a proper scare this is quite yep. good meanwhile they turn all of the audience attention to getting this singular shell that looks like yeah. it's about to bounce its way off the hood. And then all of a sudden, this character that you thought died like five minutes ago just pops back up into center frame. And it, Perfect jump scare. When the others show up to help him, the gyro captain's also in his gyrocopter dropping Molotovs. And that also, it feels like a really elaborate chase sequence because you've got this help showing up to try and like take off some of the bad guys. And mm-hmm. it just, it feels like there's like layers to it because you've got someone in the sky, which. I don't think if I hadn't seen this before, I don't think I would have ever predicted there's going to be someone in the air for part of this final set piece, you know? Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. He does still have access to the copter. It does still have fuel. There's no reason not to provide air support. And it makes it a more interesting fight scene that not only is he dropping Molotovs, he's also dropping like his pet snake on one of the guys yeah. <laughs> to freak him out. Which does make the guy turn and shoot his bolt gun at one of the other bad guys. So yeah, you know, it works. It's, it's effective. It is. And then I can't remember who took him down, but someone basically shot at the gyrocopter, landed an arrow bolt in it, and he ended up crashing. Yeah, not dying. He, still, he does survive, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he does go down eventually. Um, so yeah, like it's this big thing, and eventually the the truck does kind of like go over because uh, the humongous just rides into the front of it. So the humongous basically commits suicide by yeah. driving into the front of the truck. I still don't know how he got there though, because for this entire chase scene, he was up behind there like throwing these tridents, and then somehow <laughs> he's in front. And I just I must have missed that bit. He's throwing tridents. That's just that's really funny. To he me. is though. It's uh, <laughs> really that? funny. There's a guy in he a hockey mask and in, in a, in a He-Man outfit throwing tridents at an oil tanker. Yeah, this is what Australia is on any other Thursday. <laughs> yeah, no, I, like, honestly, this entire 20-minute sequence is so well done. It's like you never mm-hmm. get lost. There's always context because you've got this anchor point of the truck as the central focus. You've got a few key villains that you recognize on the various vehicles. And then you've got the red shirts who are the ones doing jumping and stunts and getting pulled under things and getting fired yep. at and whatnot. And then when the help comes in and you've also got the gyrocopter at play, you've got these other other things. At one point, mm-hmm. uh, the Papa characters try to help him. He gets the tr- one of the tridents in the back and that's how he dies and he kind of raids off mm-hmm. at that point. Well, yeah, he, uh, he was specifically trying to get the feral child off the truck he mm. was like hey come on we already won don't worry about it and then he gets trident to the back so yeah uh so the truck gets flipped over max sees that it's just sand pouring out and yeah he has this moment where he like sort of holds his hand out and lets it pour into his hand and he realizes what they've done that they've pulled a a 180 and mm. 
it's kind of a nice moment though because you're like okay they, they pulled it off they got most other people away barring a couple of leaders who went out to try and help max and yeah. the the gyro captain takes the kids uh and yeah we get this the narration comes back in and explains yeah the gyro captain even became our leader for a while and then eventually when i was older i became a leader but we never mm -hmm. saw mad max again and it ends actually on the same shot of max standing in the road that was at the start of the movie but this time it's in widescreen and it's this sort of, you know, this hero shot of him. Because he's still wearing his leather jacket from the first movie, but he's lost a sleeve, so he's, he's only got one sleeve yeah. the whole movie. Uh, I actually, I really appreciated that in that apparently Mel Gibson, basically, he had the outfit from last time, and then he just, like, two days before filming, basically said, look, if I was out in the wasteland, I'd be having to do everything by myself. So not only did he alter his costume by like tearing off the sleeve and messing up his gloves and whatnot but he also gave himself a haircut just to make it look that extra bit of like oh, horrible yeah. having to be rough so i i think that was a great little bit of character work there yeah no i mean it feels like a, it's as simple as the plot is like obviously it all functions really well in terms of the motivations in terms of the mm -hmm. the MacGuffins and what the goals are which makes for really simple easy to understand action sequences but it feels like the director george miller and him and these writers and even you're saying mel gibson with his ideas it felt like mm -hmm. it was this like real little can-do indie movie despite the budget being bigger because it was all like what you know all these ideas that are here like the look of the bad guys it, like that didn't just come up out of nowhere someone sat down and said oh what can we do what can we give the bad guys in terms of outfits what's the design of these dudes um mm -hmm. what's the design of the heroes at the camp and like their gear like people, there was a lot of thought and creativity went into all these details, and it's why a lot of the knockoffs, where it's like, oh, we're just copying Mad Max by having some guys in some S and M gear and some buggies in the desert, they always fall flat because it's like, no, the reason why this all worked and was it was because it was unique at the time for a start, but it all mm. had like a solid story to function with as well. Yeah. Also, one bit that we skipped over, um, that was probably the biggest thing they did in the movie was as the group was leaving their little camp their base the other people the bandits some of them drove in to basically take control they're like hey they abandoned it we win and then the whole thing explodes in a truly just massive fireball that you just know george miller spent a million dollars getting to look <laughs> like that the, yeah the budget's 10 times as big but like two tenths of it were this explosion <laughs> yeah exactly um also one other thing i just want to correct and i know it's oh, a bit late now um brian may is a member of queen but this is a different brian may oh, that did the composing fair so, enough i just i just assumed it was the dish from queen fair enough yep different one it's not that unique a name to be fair but no I, I think it was a safe assumption of saying the guy who does some heavy guitar work is the guy who's the guitarist in queen but Hey, other musicians have went on to score movies. Trent Reznor, uh, mm -hmm. Marlon Manson even scored a movie or two. So it happens. Yeah. But yeah, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, how many people have already commented corrections before they got to the... See, that's, what, that's what we do, though. We say purposely wrong things in the first half and then correct <laughs> them in the second half. Get all the comments from them. Perfect. Oh, I suppose, um, yes. Gaming yeah, the no, system, I'm... I suppose. That's fair enough. I, I fully agree with everything you were saying there in terms of it's it's such a tightly paced movie as well, because as simple of a story as it is, it doesn't feel like anything is like wasteful. Even the character development, it still feels like it functions to move the plot forward every time that they do it, because like even the um, bit where Max is giving the music box to the kid, 
that is nothing but character development. That's oh, not only sure. how the kid works and right. Max, but it allows us to then later on in the movie believe why this kid is so attached to Max. So it's all form and function blended together. Yeah, and even just like some of the characters in the town aren't that deep necessarily. They're not that layered, but mm. they do simple little things that just give a little bit of extra meaning later on. For example, Gyro captains into this blonde that he wants to run away with them and he's making smiles at. Mm-hmm. she obviously says no other way to do that but he chooses to stick around that decision in and of itself is a bit of character development but the thing that the moment I'm, I'm getting to here is that just before they're doing their big plan at the end and she's like on the bus and he's off to go do his gyrocopter stuff um mm-hmm. he looks over at her and she kind of smiles at him like a, okay you know good luck i hope we'll both make it and it just it had a little bit of meaning because okay they've interacted a few times we know that he likes her she seems to also kind of like him <laughs> and yeah you know, it just it added just a lot. Okay, so there's someone here he cares about, so he's not just doing this for himself. And admittedly, by this point, he's also went out to save Max when he didn't have to. And it yeah. feels like at the end, when he's going to help Max, he's doing it because he wants to help Max, not because it benefits him in any way necessarily to help Max. Mm-hmm. He's doing it because he wants to help him. So that's some character development. Because um, yeah. it's also, like you said, when he says at the end that he wants to drive the truck, uh, Papa basically says, like, tough. That deal has expired. We are not going to let you drive this truck. But then, I mean, on my initial viewing, when I saw uh, the gyro captain pick him up, I thought it was at, like, the behest of the oh, camp. Oh, I see what you're saying. Of, yeah. like, no. oh, go get him. But no, it turns out, like, no, he was just being a friend. He was being a good guy to Max. He's like, we see the smoke billowing up from the explosion of your car, and we're coming to help you because and, that's what this community does. And it's one of those moments as well that um, I don't think the general captain, if you'd asked them before, would, would know for sure that he would make that choice. I think it's the sort of thing where he's presented with that choice and he, mm-hmm. he has to go do it. Like he just knows it in the moment. He has to go save him. Yeah, for so, sure. I think that makes that sort of moment sing. Uh, and it's, in terms of the deal as well, when, when Max says, no, I'm going to drive the truck, Papa's like, no, that, that, that deal, there's no deal now. Like, you, like you, that, that offer's yeah. off the table. You're and, not, not going to get any gasoline for that. Yeah. We're not offering that. And Max is like, I don't care about a deal. I'm just, I'm driving the truck. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it for a payment. Which again, is also some character development. It's, it's a change, because up until this point in the movie, Max was always just doing things as part of a deal to gain a resource of some kind. It was all, like, mm-hmm. he's not a villain, but he's not doing things out of the goodness of his heart. You know, other yeah. than giving the kid a present, which is just that little glimpse that lets you know that by the end he's going to be doing something because it's the right thing to do and not because... Right. Yeah, so it like just the simple things make it really good. But ultimately, yeah, the star of the show are the action sequences, it's the stunts, it's all of this being shot practically in lo- on locations. Um, and I know Fury Road, even in 2015, part of the reason why that was so well received is because it was also as much as humanly possible stunts on real vehicles it was mm. practical stuff there's obviously still some cg there's like a giant storm that comes in at one point which yeah obviously they did that with cg but the the bulk of it is actually as practical as it can be and that's partly what made it feel so special to watch and this has a lot of that as well and it just kind of feels like in the the time between this and fury road it's like okay here's where the the, the expectations of action have risen here's the sort of budget we can get now and we can go even further with it than we did in yeah. 1982. But this still holds up and this still works really well as a, as the pinnacle of the Wasteland movie of you've got the, the Lone Wanderer, you've got a lot of bad people and you've got people who need help. And Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that it is... Obviously, the movies that we think of as the Westerns, 
they had their time and you can very clearly see like if you look at movies over time where the sort of western spike was in the 70s era but i think that it basically kind of just evolved into this it, it evolved into the lone wanderer coming into like either a modern day setting or in this case post-apocalyptic and just trying to help things the western never truly died it just evolved into a different form like this. and yeah and also that's just a specific type of western because the, the, the hollywood sure. western was earlier than that that was like the 50s and the, the 40s yeah. or whatever uh, the more spaghetti yeah western, the spaghetti yeah. western which i guess what you, you think of more compared to this because it's more in the desert kind of area because mm-hmm. it's more you know whereas old school westerns could be in more kind of midwestern type locations that yeah this is more desert so you think more spaghetti western absolutely uh so i guess we're at the point where we're going to rate mad max 2 the road warrior Jeez. okay um I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to hem and haw this too much, but like going into this, I was kind of thinking in the eight range, uh, eight, 8.5, somewhere around there. But honestly, after talking about it and having gone that, I think I'm going to go all the way up to nine. I think that this is like, it's such an influential movie and you can feel it as you're watching it. You can see all the things that it has impacted, not just in like post-apocalyptic movies, but just in like culture as a whole just the way that we even think about what would the like apocalypse look like in a general sense mad max and like leather bound people on bikes and stuff is just a default that so many people go to even if they've never even heard of mad max so yeah i think the importance of this movie can't be overstated in that way and it is just leagues ahead of mad max one as much as that movie did a lot of groundwork of setting up this idea as to where we were going to go. This one is the end all be all, at least until maybe Fury Road, because I know that had its own cultural zeitgeist, but I haven't seen that yet. So. Yeah, that, that, that kind of hit in its own way and surprised people with just how important it was that year and how, mm-hmm. how much credit got. So looking forward to covering that. I'm also looking forward to Thunderdome because I've never seen Thunderdome and I know it's the sillier one. Um, okay. I know. I think the studio like forced another director to do some of it or something because they didn't. Mm. Uh, so I know it's I know it's the it's the the, the weirder one, but I am kind of looking forward to Tina Turner and <laughs> and the Thunderdome. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm excited to see what that movie is, good or bad. Uh, but <laughs> this movie, uh, I'm going eight point five. I've always kind of I, I think before I've maybe been around an eight and it's kind of bumped up to an eight point five. I I think it's a really tightly paced action movie. Uh, set in the post-apocalypse i think the 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 quiet lone hero who's reluctant and all that stuff works really well uh -hmm. the action set pieces are super fun to watch and the visuals are very distinct and memorable which is why it's influenced so much of what we think of when it comes to visuals of the post-apocalypse because it Mm -hmm. does a good job of just displaying them in a very cinematic way that you remember these silly gimp suits you remember mad max's look with the one sleeve because as much as he had this outfit to an extent in the first movie, the missing sleeve and the other little details are what you think of when you think of Mad Max. Yeah. So, 8.5 for me. Really good stuff. All right. Yeah. So, there you go. Also, just uh, one tiny thing I wanted to throw in, because I think this has to be contractually listed in every single review of uh-huh. Mad Max 2, is the one stunt where a stuntman was sent flying over a car ramp. Oh, and he kind of spins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His feet got trapped, like it hit him on the car. So he did like two somersaults before he finally landed. Was in critical condition, but boy, did that stunt look good. Oh, geez. Did he survive? 
Yeah, he was he was alive. He okay. lived, but he was not okay for a while. It looked good on camera. I mean, no one should get yeah. you know hurt for a movie, but mm -hmm. uh, well, damn, it, it was an impressive looking because it's in slow motion as well. I think so. You, yep, you see the the spins and it looks like a hell of a hell of a stunt. Um, yeah. Okay, very very good. Uh, so next time on the Atomic Cinema Experiment, we'll be looking at a vote winner. Uh, mm -hmm. So we don't know what the outcome of that is yet, but it's going to be an 80s movie, a cult classic from the 80s. Uh, by the time this goes out, we'll already know what that's going to be, but we're recording this before that vote's ended, so we don't know mm -hmm. for sure. But that's uh, next week on the Atomic Cinema Experiment. Uh, of course, I mentioned earlier, Patreon, patreon.com and all that stuff. Uh, we can get bonus shows. We have two bonus shows. Don't worry, David's going to do his homework after I've done the plugging, all right? I'm just... Yeah, I just sit here twiddling my thumbs for this part. Yeah, because, uh, yes. I should probably mention the homework at the start of every episode, just so people know you wait for it. I think you did for, like, the first two. Yeah, I've, I've kind of forgot. I forgot to do it. I'll have to start doing that again so people know it's coming. All right. Um, but anyway, yes, patreon.com slash TV. Me and David specifically do two bonus shows monthly uh, that are movie reviews. We do the Criterion Cut, where we review movies from the Criterion Collection, so it's the best of the best, the prestigious. We try and be smart and <laughs> talk about the lord we try <laughs> the medium of cinema and the, the beauty of art and all that stuff and then on the other show extra reels which is a monthly patreon show at uh, the five dollar tearing up we talk about the shittiest of the shits we talk about the the pain the misery the laughably bad on the show extra reels just once i'm waiting for you to accidentally get that backwards <laughs> and you're just like, oh yeah, the Criterion Cut, where we talk about the worst movies ever made. Mm. No, no. Uh, so you can get those. There's also a bonus Screams After Midnight and the other shows that are on Mail Fuzz movies and TV. There's bonus content for a few of them. Uh, so by all means, check it out. Helps keep the show alive, helps keep the lights on, and helps keep us doing this. So please, please do. Um... But yeah, uh, David, every episode, is doing homework, mm. where he goes back and watches a movie, usually that he's not seen, sometimes it's a rewatch, of something that me and Tara did on the ace before he joined the show, so that he's filling in the blanks, and he will eventually have seen all of those movies too, for, you know, countdown purposes, and just general sci-fi awareness and knowledge and all that. So, yep. David, what was your homework movie this week? Well, I went ahead and I thought, hmm, what movie could I do that is a sequel that threw in a kid, and also is one of the most critically renowned films of all time. I don't have a joke punchline for this, so I'm just going to say Aliens. <laughs> I did Aliens. Okay, I just want to point out here that for the first Mad Max, his homework episode was Alien. For the mm -hmm. second Mad Max, he's done Aliens. So if you would mm -hmm. like to place your bets on what movie he'll do for his homework when we do Thunderdome, you... Uh, may do so if i can get it on that i'm all for it because then i can just game the system based off the odds here <laughs> uh but yeah no aliens i mean it's aliens i feel like i don't you you did a two hour long review with tara on aliens going through like every single scene of that movie i know i listened to it and I'd like to think i made some good points on that review you did make some good points i think that it is a fantastically well done movie i think that it is the quintessential sequel when it comes down to not only honoring the first movie and doing something that's in the same sort of vein but also doing its own thing and expanding upon the mythology i think that aliens is 
what every movie franchise and considering we have a whole show based on franchises it's what every franchise should look to when it is trying to follow up and do something more with the series so yeah it's it's a great movie um i will say i started to watch the i guess original cut and then i remember you saying something of whenever i got to aliens mm -hmm. i had to do the special edition so i did go back and made sure to watch that one instead but yeah it's it's i had seen it before but it has been about at least 10 years so it was essentially all fresh to me i didn't remember that hudson every single line he said was just like quotable as hell oh yeah yeah because you've heard them all, all over the internet for the last yeah 20 years like i knew the big ones i knew like game over man but like everything he said just sounded like i pulled a string on the back of a doll and <laughs> we're it was on just... an ex one way express elevator to hell yeah exactly yeah, full of them. um add in everything else that i mean i can't really say anything that you guys didn't say in your review it was it's a fantastic movie and i will go ahead i will bend the knee here and i will <laughs> give this one a 10 uh it is my favorite movie so i'm, I'm yes. delighted to hear that that's uh i that's good i do think it is worth it however i do want to point out and i just i tiny little thing here is that right before you guys did aliens you did the matrix to uh -huh. which to which terror gave a 10 and you gave a 9.5 yes and then in this review of aliens you justified saying 9.5 is still really good and it's not something that people should get upset about what's your point just going I'm just saying, Where maybe you going Alien getting a 9.5 is not the worst thing that I've ever done in my life, Pete. What? Never seen a hypocrite before? What, what, what the... <laughs> well, I guess if you're just going to own up to it, yeah, all right, fair <laughs> enough. That's, I got nothing to counter that one. Uh, I was just having fun last time. Come on now. That's, that's not... I know. I just feel like it's... Obviously, we film these very far in advance. I feel like it's the sort of thing that the audience is also going to give me some crap for. Of like, you gave oh, it a yeah, 9.5. Sure. Oh, sure, you. sure. Um, no, I uh, I love Aliens. I think my perfect version of Aliens actually is in between the two cuts because mm. I think the stuff uh, with the turrets and I think the stuff with uh, Ripley's daughter, like, backstory, is yeah. essential and just adds so much to that character. I actually, well, I don't dislike the scenes. I do think I like not seeing the, the compound with people on it before they go there. Like, early mm. on, that's one of the things that's added in the special edition. And I do think going there having never seen it feels better and more mysterious but i mean it's a minor thing so my yeah. ideal cut of aliens would be to keep everything in the special edition except that one part where they actually go out and find the facehugger because i think that part you know we don't need that part and as to the mystery yeah. but it's it, like i'm splitting hairs where i'm just sort of like you know look if they're gonna be like seven different cuts of blade runner i think we can make the <laughs> mild fuzz cut of aliens but hey um yeah, and it's a long chunk because I remember in the documentaries that like Cameron said when they were trying to shorten it because back then they were really concerned about squeezing an extra show like show times during the day. Right. Um, was that what if we just take out take out real three and real three is both the scene where Ripley's daughters talked about and then all the stuff at the the base, you know, mm. where they find the face hugger and we see the people talking about stuff in the in the center and all that. Um, yeah. So I was going to say, I, I did get far enough into the regular cut that it basically went from the thing of like, yes, we've set up this colony and, and everything's totally fine. And then like the very next scene is, hey, by the way, we lost contact with that yeah. colony. 
And I was like, nah, I feel like we missed something in the middle the, there. There, obviously, there's a there's a time difference because she's got a job and she's like settled mm-hmm. into a new life by that point. But yeah, it does feel kind of abrupt in the theatrical cut. Whereas in the, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you'd keep the people can complain about communication on the, yeah, you know, on the like the command center where there's like two workers talking about what they're doing. Uh, but you know, I think I think seeing them actually find the face hugger and stuff, I'm like, you know what, I, I don't know if I need that scene, but. Hey, yeah, it it, it it kind of felt like the like on your standard weekly TV show procedural where like before the title card comes up, we just see like, mm. oh, here's how we got into this mess. It it didn't feel like it was actually required for the characters. Yeah, but uh, yes, I'll stop now because we could probably talk for an hour about aliens if I yeah if I keep <laughs> going. Uh, so yes, aliens, fantastic, and obviously not only is that an eighties movie for you to check off mm-hmm. before we get to an eighties countdown in the middle of the year. Uh, we've got a new Alien movie coming out and we have to do a Prometheus and Alien Covenant so that's another reason why you're going through the Alien movies yeah my homework is very meticulously planned out for the next like six months so <laughs> so yeah uh, there you go that's the show that's the Atomic Cinema Experiment um, we'll see you next time like I said for an 80s cult classic uh, as whatever our Patreons have picked from the options uh, but thank you very much. Check out Collector's Cut, our other movie show where me and David do. We're doing 70s disaster movies every week right now, so go check out that. Uh, but that is the show, so thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. <laughs> <laughs>